The title of the sermon this morning is Christian Order, Part 4. Last week, we did an overview of sorts, if you remember, of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 through 6. This week, we are going to pick up in verse 7 and onward as we get more specific. Beginning in verse 7, please follow along with me as I read in your Bible. For a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed man was not created for woman's sake, but, but the woman for the man's sake. Now, what Paul's talking about here, if you look at your cross-references in your Bible, if you've got a good Bible, it'll, it'll have cross-references to the creation account in Genesis. If you remember, in weeks past, we talked about the man and the woman having different roles, different functions from one another within Christianity, the body of Christ, and we drew a parallel when we talked about that, between that and the Trinity, okay? As such, we saw how the members of the Trinity had different, have different roles, different functions, but are eternally co-equal, remember? Now, after reading these next few verses, verses seven through nine that we just read, in order to do that scripture justice, we must unapologetically posit that God has, this, God has established an order of authority and stewardship in his creation of men and women. He has established an order of authority and stewardship in his creation of men and women. Remember, over the past two weeks, we talked about authority and responsibility and headship quite a bit. That was verse three. Well, in the creation account, we see this God-established order of headship, authority, and responsibility. In fact, the creation account is where it originates. So God created Adam first, established Adam's headship, and then gave responsibility I'm sorry, then gave Adam responsibility over Eve, who he created out of Adam, out of Adam's rib. So there's nothing new here about headship, authority, and responsibility. Let's take a, take a more specific look, okay? If we were to look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, Verses 11 through 14. Now, this is in the context, folks, of a church assembly, a gathering of church folk. First Timothy chapter two, beginning in verse 11. I'll give you a second to get there. Paul says to Timothy, a woman must... Quietly receive instruction 
with entire submissiveness. He says, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was created and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Again, this is in a church assembly. That's the context. We see here roles, function of men and women being established by Paul in a church service. Paul is forbidding women to fill the office or role of a teacher or pastor in the church. Remember, according to Paul, it is the elders who are to govern the congregation. We see this in chapter 5, verse 17 of this same epistle. We also see it in chapter 3, verses 2 and 5, that the rulers in the church are to be uh, men. And then Paul says in verse 12 that a woman is supposed to remain quiet. He means that a woman is supposed to, isn't supposed to teach men in a public assembly. You with me on that? This doesn't mean that Paul was excluding women from teaching other women and from teaching children in a congregation. It also doesn't mean that there aren't times in Scripture and in the early church when women didn't give instruction to people in a non-public format or opportunity. For example, give you an example. It was both Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife, okay, man and woman. It was both Priscilla and Aquila who pulled Apollos aside and instructed him on the scriptures and explained the scriptures to him more broadly, okay, more accurately. Another example are the older women that Paul speaks of to Titus in chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 of that epistle where Paul says, and I quote, that the older women should admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, and to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good and obedient to their own husbands that the word of God might not be blasphemed. So in summary, women, according to Paul, aren't to teach men in the church, but women can teach and expound upon things, especially to children and other women in the church. And you could be rest assured that Paul would leave room for you know, a conversation uh, at the exit door about a scripture he, from, a, from a woman's perspective. He's not saying that women can't talk about scripture um, to men. He's just saying that in the church assembly, women shouldn't teach men or have authority over a man. Now, that's just two examples, but there are many, uh, many more that we don't have time to get into this morning. We need to stick to the topic so we don't get too much in the weeds here. With that said, though, everything I just said, back to the function of, I should say, function and role of men and women. In keeping with 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 
through 14 that I just read and expounded upon, let's look at another pertinent passage of scripture pertaining to men and women in the church assembly, in the body of Christ, their functions and their roles together. Ephesians 5, if you go there, verses 22 through 33. Ephesians 5. A lot of people call this the marriage chapter. It's the go-to chapter for premarital counseling. Beginning in verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Sound familiar? Okay. Hint, 1 Corinthians 11, 3 through 9, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14, verse 24. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the, with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Verse 28. So husbands ought to also love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh or his own body, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body, okay, men and women. Verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery, Paul says, is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Remember, Christ is the groom, the church is the bride. Verse 33, nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now, I realize that was long, but I wanted you to get the entire context So we see in these verses, these passages of Scripture, that there is a created order of headship, authority, responsibility, and respective roles and functions between a man and a woman, especially in a church assembly, also in a marriage, okay? And the two are parallel. They exist, these roles and functions, respective. They exist in the church and they exist in the marriage or a marriage. And we will see this over and over again in scripture. Now you might be thinking, if you put your feminist hat on, you might be thinking, well, uh, I thought that God was no respecter of persons and that everyone is equal in God's eyes. Didn't Paul say that too? Yeah, he did. That's Galatians 3, 28 and 29. And it's true. Let's read it. Verse 28, Galatians 3. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Folks, these verses of Scripture are about salvation. They're about salvation and who Christ is. Not about, they are not about public assembly or as we call it today, church. God is no respecter of persons in the salvific act. That's the context of Galatians 3. We are all one in Christ, Jew and Gentile. Remember the Judaizers were giving Paul a hard time in Galatia because he wasn't making, making sure people got circumcised when they came to Christ. He wasn't preaching the law, that they should keep the law when they come to Christ. And what Paul's doing is he's addressing that too. And he's saying, look, both Jews and Gentiles are one in Christ. Males and females are one in Christ. Slave or free, he says, all justified by our God-given faith alone and our God-given grace alone. So, we are joint heirs, you've heard me say it a million times, with Christ seated with him in heaven, but that's positional and is not fully realized while we are on this earth. It will be fully realized when we leave this earth and go to heaven. Now, people often will use Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 and 29 They will often use it out of context to try and say that men and women are equal in the assembly and in the church. They're taking it out of context. And they're trying to convey this notion that men and women are equal in marriage. Context, context, context. Galatians 3, 28 and 29 has nothing to do with any of those things. It has nothing to do with male and female roles and functions in the here and now. And it has nothing to do, listen, this is the most important part, has nothing to do with God's glory, man's image, and his headship. I'm going to tie this together. I know you're looking at me now quizzically, but give me a minute, okay? God's glory, man's image, and headship which is established where Genesis 1, 26 and 27 and Genesis 2, 18 through 24, the creation accounts, the context of Galatians 3, 28 and 29, as I said before, one more time, is that both Jews and Gentiles are saved by faith. Period. Nothing to do with us here this morning and the roles and the functions and the respective uh, responsibility that we have in the body of Christ. Okay. Let's read these two passages from Genesis and I'll show you what I mean. Genesis 1.26. If you want to go there. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let him rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now look at Galatians, or I'm sorry, look at Genesis 2, 18 through 24. Then the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field, but for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Verse 21. So the Lord, God, caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, I'm sorry I have to say this, but put that on the back burner for one second, okay? And then please go back to our text, 1 Corinthians 11. And let's look at verse 7 for a minute. Scripture interprets Scripture. Genesis interprets 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. The Apostle Paul is explaining in verse 7 of our text why a man's head should be covered, should, why a man's head should not be covered in worship, okay? Put simply, to not have one's head covered would give a proper or correct picture of man's creation in God's image and for God's glory. I'm going to say that again. Put simply, to not have one's or a man's head covered would give a proper and correct picture of man's creation in God's image and for God's glory. Paul is saying that man was created and placed on earth to be God's representative, his visible representative who is capable of giving a proper portrayal of his creator, God, a proper portrayal of his God's image and glory. That is why man was created. Now remember, Psalm 8, if you want to go there. Psalm 8, verses 4 through 9. Another very important passage. Beginning in verse 4, what is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him. 
yet you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. By being created, folks, in the image of God, by being the glory of God, and by being the official steward of God's stuff, God's stuff on this earth. Man represents God's glory. He represents God's headship. He represents God's authority in this fallen world. With me? Consequently, and therefore too, if a man prays or prophesies publicly with his head covered, he conceals the image of God. He conceals the glory of God. He conceals the authority of God that he is to represent. He hides all that, that he was created to reflect that which he was created to be the representative of this authority, this headship of God in this earth. If he covers his head, he not only disgraces his physical head, but he also disgraces God as the head over him. And it is for this very reason that Paul says in our text in verse 14, 1 Corinthians 11, this very reason that he says that long hair on a man is a dishonor to him. It snuffs out the glory, the image. It is because the long hair acts as a covering that hides the image and glory of Almighty God as it should be reflected in man or reflected by a man. Also in our text, verse 15, 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen. This is why Paul says that long hair on a woman is to her glory, for her hair is given to her as a covering. When the man's head is covered, listen, he conceals God's glory. When the woman's head is covered, she shows forth man's glory. Because, why? Okay. She was created to be the glory of man. And man was created to be the glory of God. Verse 7. That's verse 7 of our text. For the man does not originate from the woman. This is verse 8. But the woman from man. For man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. So the man is the image and glory of God. But our text says that the woman is the glory of man. Is that clear? Now, please note, it doesn't say that she is the image of man, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from women, but women from man. For indeed, this is verse 9, man was not created for woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. The implication is instead that by praying and prophesying with her head uncovered, she would be 
dishonoring and shaming the man whose glory she was supposed to be. Let me say that again. By praying and prophesying with her head uncovered, she would be dishonoring and shaming the man whose glory she was supposed to be. Remember, Genesis 2.18, we just read it. She was to be his helpmate, his ideal partner. Adam said, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For she is the glory of man. But if she shaves her head and takes on somewhat of a manly appearance, then she's not the glory of man, but instead a disgrace to man. I'm not saying this. Paul's saying this. I'm just repeating it in an easier to understand way. So let me be very clear. This doesn't mean that women aren't created in the image of God. They are. It simply means that there are God-given differences between men and women that should be reverently reflected in the way that they dress, the way that they act, the way that they pray, worship, and yes, wear their hair. In an assembled congregation of the Lord while praying and prophesying. No. Remember what Paul said about nature and all the other scriptures that we read? Some things look right, some things don't look right. You be the judge. Of those differences is that man, in relationship to woman, has a spectacular role in representing God or showing what God is like. And the woman in the relationship shows the excellence of man from whom she was created. Yet in both cases, Paul goes on, listen, to emphasize their interdependence. Okay, in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 11 and 12, if you want to look there, Paul says, however, in the Lord, neither is a woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Do you think maybe Paul was familiar with Genesis? So whatever conclusions you come to while reading this chapter, folks, you shouldn't come away with the notion that women uh, or a woman is less of less worth. She's not. She's of equal worth. And to some of us, way better than me. Okay? It's just that men and women have different roles and functions as we've seen all along thus far. Okay? Now, I'm going to end this earlier than I normally do. I skipped verse 10, which I'm sure some of you are chomping at the bit to have me interpret. Um, we're going to do that next time. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Um, we'll do that next time. And 
please, please digest what we've looked at so far without trying to move ahead and answer that question. Is this a cultural thing or is this for today? I know that's the question nagging a lot of people. We're going to get to that question. We're going to answer that question, just not today. Let's pray.